Okay, my goal this morning, I have three goals. Uh, Goal number one is I want to share with you what I believe God's vision for uh, healthy church growth is. Okay, that's goal number one. Goal number two, I want to advance from there to talk about what I believe uh, in, in the great conversation of godly growth, what growth questions are in front of the church this year before us now. So we'll talk about that. And goal number three is I want to exhort and condition our spirits individually and corporately to embrace the questions that are in front of us the best way we can. So with that said, what I've chosen to do is place each one of these uh, themes or goals underneath a passage and so as we uh, a passage of scripture. And so as we turn to what is God's vision for growth, I just want to re- I want to read Ecclesiastes 3:1 over you and and uh, allow it to kind of give theme to the idea. Ecclesiastes 3:1 for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Okay, in our church, what does healthy growth look like? I think this is applicable to church in general, but it certainly is how we think of it in our church. We describe healthy church growth in three ways, three, three dimensionally. The first way we simply say is that God wants to grow his church. God desires to grow his church. And what I mean by that is, is that it's God's desire that you and I, the families in our church that are living the gospel of Jesus Christ out well here in this area would attract new people to the faith. That's what I mean by grow. Is that in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, in our, among our friends, that we would be living the gospel of Jesus, the good Christian life out, and people would want that. They would want that for themselves, their families, their marriages. And they would be attracted here, and they would come to know the Lord better here. That's what I mean when I say God desires his church would grow. It's typified. It happens in all sorts of different ways, but it's typified, by the way, on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is quintessential grow. Invite people to church, have seats available for them to come to church, have ministries available for them to be relaxed and at peace while they're at church, parking space so they can get here, a sign so they know it's here. That's grow. The next uh, dimension of healthy church growth that I would talk about is spread. So God desires not that simply that we would grow deeper gospel roots and be profound witnesses here, but that we would take what we've gained from the Lord and we would take it away from here to there, wherever there is, whatever the godly there is, whether that's missions or church planting, that, that it's not enough for us to relish and, and celebrate what God has done for us, uh, but God chooses to do another thing, right? He puts in our heart a desire that the joy that's found in Christ would be experienced by people who haven't heard it yet. There, somewhere over there. That's his will. And that is typified in our church by uh, partnership with missions and church planting. The fact that there's a church meeting on the other side of that lens, there is because people here 
caught that vision and went there and brought it with him. The third kind, uh, the third dimension to growth that comprises healthy, godly growth is maturity. God wants his church to be mature as well. And what I mean by that is God desires that his sons and daughters would be progressively and continually transformed into his likeness. That we reject the idea, we reject the notion that your salvation is a punctiliar idea that's once and done when you declare it or write it in the book jacket of the back of the book, but rather a life in Christ is a continual process. We wade into the Lord through our life, deeper and deeper and deeper. We are being converted into something new. That's what it means to mature. It is happening, and it ought to happen, and a healthy church ought to be serious about it. And maturity is typified among a fellowship that makes much of God's word, the study of scripture is a place where maturity is grown. The fellowship of believers is a place where so meaningful connections and friendships, living the Christian life out with one another, like in a life group, that is where maturity is happening. When you, you have to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Christian body. And in doing so, in dealing with that, the Lord grows us in maturity. Those are the ministries of maturity in our church. Bible studies. Maturity. Corporately, we mature every time we ask a real question. So we can choose not to ask real questions. And it will be easy, but we will be immature. This is the Great Commission. Grow, spread, mature. Go make disciples, that's grow, of all nations, that's spread baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's mature. And that idea, the Great Commission, go, grow, spread, mature, is bracketed by this notion. The Lord says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, and he ends it with, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. He gives it to the church, but he says, I'm the one who's gonna do it. You have to go, but I'm the one who's gonna do it. We are called to do all these things at some level. So we are called as a church to grow, spread, and mature. What I'm saying is God's local church cannot just be a, a spreading church or cannot just be a growing church. Well, they can. All the time, they're this sort of thing. You can be that. I'm saying that is not healthy for the body of Christ. We are supposed to, we are called to do all of them. Now, I know, you and I, we all know that our giftedness and our temperament and our setting and our cultural habits and our traditions, all of those things incline us to do one of those three things or two of those three things better than one of the others. And that's natural, and God's made us that way, but we can't resolve ourselves to just do one or two of those three things. We can't just be a church that's all about maturity, you know, we, we just know the word of the Lord. We just do the word of the Lord. Where the word of the Lord says, go, make disciples of all nations. The fountain of maturity gives birth to growing and spreading. Likewise, we cannot simply be a church that wants to be a huge church that's numerically oriented 
that more is always better. You can't be that because our human ability and methodology to grow will outstrip our ability to care and mature. So our, whatever, whenever we come to the precipice or the decision point of growth, we know that we will, if we commit ourselves to that idea, there will be at least a time where the growth is out in front of the maturity and it, ah, that hurts. And then we get things back under control and we learn how to care in a new way. But if all you are is about growth, you'll leave maturity way in the dust. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles can attract more people than we can. Growing is not hard if you message it the right way. Likewise, you can't just be a spreading church. You know, there are plenty of missionary churches that are all about the nations, and that's all they care is about the nations. They care about the nations so much so they have no time to care for their neighbor. We can't be one of these things. We need to be all of these things. But the reality is, we can't, it's so hard. It might be impossible. I, in my experience, it is not humanly possible to do all of these things well all of the time, simultaneously. I know God calls us to do them, but we can't do them all well, all the time, simultaneously. And I think it's okay if we, on the whole, we do them in and out of season. So in some seasons of our life, we're growing. And in some seasons of our life, doesn't this feel like your normal life? You're maturing. And then in some seasons of life, things are spreading. That's happening in their own season so that if we looked at the life of the church, we could say, well, right now we're in a season of this, but on the whole, we're being holistic about growth. I want to show you something. It's a slide I put up. Forgive the slides. I know sometimes slides feel like unspiritual. Uh, this to me is tremendously spiritual and I want you to see it. I started, I was wrestling through this, this idea. And so I went back to my first memories here at Hokesson Baptist Church, at least on staff in 2006. So I went back to 2006 when I came on staff as the associate pastor and I began just to write the seasons of the church as I perceived them. So just look at this, 2006 and seven. this is the question that was in front of the church. The building, phase one, the education wing, right? And two services. September of 2007, we went to two services. That was what we did that year. That was the question we as the fellowship were asking. That is a grow season. We were embracing the reality that there are people in our community who will come here if we make it nice and welcoming. That's not heresy. And so that was that year. The next year, 2008, our growth necessitated needs to care. And so we begin to care. And so we begin to work on things like life groups, uh, 12 stones, things like lettuce began to surface. The prayer room was uh, re-implemented. These other ideas, we began to work and focus on ways to care for the growth that we were receiving. It was a mature year. 2009 and 10, Loma Coffee. It was clearly a spread year. That was a year that we set as a church. In fact, that was the year in my life where Grow, Spread, Mature came. Because as I was looking at the church, I thought, man, how is it, how is it that we, it seems like such a healthy church. And, but something felt missing. And when you looked at us, what you saw was we were doing ministry and caring for one another. We were preaching the word of God and, and inviting people on Sunday and we were funding mission. 
we were doing, doing funding. And I thought, you know, we are not actively spreading the gospel to a new place. And Loma Coffee was that effort to intentionally seek to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to another place that will never pay us back. That's the thought, right? You raise up a child and then you send them out. And that's success. 2011, pedal was the theme of that year. So we had more growth, we had growth of new people, and Pedal, Pedal the, spawned out of this realization that on a Sunday morning, Pedal, by the way, is just a way that we organize and care for service and Sunday school on Sunday. But what we saw is on any given Sunday morning, a husband and wife could walk up the steps of our church, walk in the door, s- the, split up, you know, the wife would go to do kids' church while the husband would come into the worship service with the older kids. And then next thing you know, in the second hour, the wife is back in the worship service and the husband's doing fifth and sixth grade. And there was no mechanism to screen that. There was no way to care for that. The notion was, as we were boasting that ministry is a way of strengthening the family, but we were compromising the family to do ministry. That's how it felt. Now, I know Pedal isn't perfect, but it was a wonderful, honest effort to encourage families to say, you ought to be able to serve in this church, and you ought to be able to belong and learn from the Word of God, and you ought to be able to do that without wrecking your family on Sunday morning. Now, that's the right attitude and spirit. It was a maturing year. That's what it was. 2012, we planted a church. We planted that church. 40 of our people went away from here and went there. They made there the new here. They spread so that they could grow. That's what happened. That is great. In 2013, we're sitting here asking facilities questions. Oddly enough, we're asking facilities questions at both campuses. We're sitting. We've been asking a facilities question about this facility since a long time. We have plans in the office from 2004. But this, this is now before us. We're now sitting here going, you know, we're debt-free. We've been debt-free. We're in a good position. We're experiencing healthy growth. The church plant is, is going and, and doesn't need our, the focused attention of this campus. We can, it's off. The training wheels are off, and it's alive, and it knows what it's doing. All of these things are happening, and now we're turning our focused attention to the building. What is God's future for this building? That's the question in this season. It's a growing season. And in fact, you can, you can even, at least I feel like I can, I know the next couple seasons, I, they're already backed up. In fact, questions, the way you know the next season is because it's a question that's begging to be asked, but you can't honestly answer it until you answer the one that's nagging you right now. And so I, beneath the questions of facilities, how big is this facility? Where will we be meeting? All those questions. Is this questionable? Uh, you know, how are you strengthening life groups? How are we strengthening Sunday school? How are we welcoming new members in? How are we caring for people and helping them get plugged in? This year has been sequential, godly, loving critique of those areas and ministry of our church. Well, it's a great church. It's just kind of hard to get connected. Once I get connected, it's great. That's sitting in 2014. And I have, a, I have a hunch 
Like these are hunches with question marks, but is 2015 our opportunity to plant another church? Is it our opportunity to embrace a people group, an, a, an international missions partnership that will be enduring for our two campuses? That's what I hope. That's what I suspect 2015 has. But do you see, I just want you to look up here, and do you see the, the way that on the whole, this fellowship is experiencing healthy growth? In their seasons, we're asking individual questions, but especially for those of you who have been around for a while, that should bless you. Good job. I mean, what, what a blessing to look and see that. There are some fellowships that are, that are godly that would go their whole life to ask one of those questions. And we have them backed up. The reason is, I think, is because when a church commits to grow in a healthy way, the Lord reminds us that all power has been given to him and he's with us. He's the one who's gonna do it. Isn't He's the one who said it. He said, be obedient and go, do these things. Do these things I said to do and lo, I am with you and I am all powerful. I'm resurrected, I'm seated by the right hand and all authority has been given to me. So go. I just don't want you to miss this. This was such a blessing to me. It's a blessing to go, it's okay for us to ask a grow question now without thinking or feeling like we've abandoned the idea of healthy growth. We're just in the season. Okay. That's what healthy growth is. That's what I believe godly healthy growth is. This is not packaging Okay, I'm actually, I can think of better ways to package it. This is honestly how it lives in my mind and in the mind of the pastor. In the deepest, darkest, loneliest place in my office, I think grow spread mature. I look at ministry that way. So let's look at this season. What are the questions for us here in this season? I want to place this idea beneath this parable of Christ in Luke 15. It'll be on the screen. I think we are in a season of, of growing, a season of being aware of people who live in this area who don't even know, by the way, that this church exists. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
as we begin to talk about the season of growing, I, I want to lead it with this idea. Okay, I'm going to give you a statistic that comes out of my brain. So I have no, I, I can't validate it. I'll let you validate it because I'm, I'm hedging my bets anyway. You'll say, wow, it's even worse than that. I think it is fair to say, though, that three of four people in this area, three of four families in this area, do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't think that's stretching it. Because none of my neighbors do. I'm saying that, I'm not saying that they don't occasionally go to church on a holy day. I'm not saying that they don't follow, have a hollow religiosity that they call Christendom or that over here they have some sort of superstition around a person named Jesus that they go to in time of crisis. I'm saying that I think it's fair to say in this area that three of four people do not truly follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm not saying that's an urban reality. I'm saying that is an area reality. That's our reality. The implication is, on the whole, none of your neighbors know the Lord. The one to the right and the left of you and the one across the street from you do not know the Lord, on the whole. If they all do, then you've offset the statistics for me and for others. I'm saying if God has called us to grow here, ought not here be welcoming to people who should be coming to the Lord? in light of all of God's dimensions of healthy growth, isn't that a question we should be asking in this season? That feeling motivates me to say the following. Well, I don't know. To keep reading my notes. So I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the name of the church very briefly, and I want to talk about the building now, tonight we're just talking about the building, okay? In October, we'll talk about the name. But I think both of these questions are cousins to one another. They both relate to the way we want to reach people outside of us. And they both are fundamentally, I think, growth questions. So let me talk about the name first. I'm going to give you a quandary before I talk about the name. Here's my quandary. Whenever we arrive at an issue like the name... I can either just, I can either be neutral and not lead, or I can lead and some of you will feel like I'm strong-arming you. That's, that's the reality. Is anytime we go through one of these issues, some people say, well, why didn't you lead? And the others say, you bullied me. So I'm, I, am, I just want you to appreciate my quandary because either I'm not going to lead strong enough for you or I'm going to be overbearing to you and I just want to put yourself in my shoes for a second. You asked me, you ordained me to shepherd this flock. So you should want to know what I think. So that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you what I think because this is all I think about. So please hear that. Give me grace in that, okay? I'm not... I'm not trying to slam the fact that you are at variance with me. I'm not even, I'm making no assumption of sin. I just want you to know what I think. The name. What shall the new name of the church be? That question has been before us for some time now. I think it is about to be out of season. 
okay? It's rapidly migrating to be out of season. That apple has been on the ground too long. So we need to deal with it. I would quantify the name as a real but small question. It's real, it matters, people's emotions are connected, the way you feel about it, I'm not invalidating, but it is on the whole a small question. It is secondary, it is beneath the first things of God. Okay, and so I have an endeavor and a desire to manage it that way, to keep it a real but small question. So you will see over the next, as we have, we learned a lot this spring. Trust me, I learned a lot. Thank you. Really, I I matured. Okay, now it's your turn. What what we're going to do is we're going to try to bring questions for the name to you in turn and in time so that we can kind of gently answer this along the way without making it a big deal all the time, okay? So you're going to hear about it in October, and then you'll hear about it in January, February, and then whenever's next if if that's required, okay? But that's what we're going to do. The question that is before us this October is, what role does does the denominational identifier Baptist play in the future name of the church? That's the question. Here's what I think. Number one, I think that fundamentally, the name of a church is for the outsider, not the insider. That is the purpose of a name. I don't need a name to know myself. A name is for people who don't know me. Now, I'm not denying or rejecting or calling into question that my name has not become meaningful to me. The fact that those inside a fellowship begin to affix and attach meaning to their name, true, it's just not the fundamental purpose of a name. It's not wrong, it's a reality, but it's not fundamentally the reason for a name. That cannot trump the first. And I know, and you know, I think in the deepest recesses of our heart, that because we're a pretty healthy fellowship, whatever the future name of the church is, if it was Manny's church, we would learn to love it and be proud of it. Okay? I mean, there's nothing intrinsically brilliant about HBC. It's three letters, Hocassin Baptist Church. I mean, nobody's ever written a poem with that. We will infill the future name of our church with our identity. That will happen. That's just a reality. Many of you wives, when you got remarried, you have grown to fall in love with your new name. Some of you would write it in high school. Right? Longing for the new identity. Okay? Fundamentally, though, the name is for the outsider. That said, it is important, I think, to appreciate that increasingly our culture is no longer denominational. I'm saying they don't care about denomination. I'm not saying that our denominational nuances are not important theologically to us. I'm saying to the outside world, nobody cares. Denominationalism rose, especially on signs, it rose when everyone assumed that everyone else was going to church on Sunday and the only thing they needed to know was which one of the 30 churches in my town do I go to? We were splitting the nuanced theological hairs in our town because everybody was going. And so we were asking nuanced questions. Nobody's nuancing the faith anymore. The question is not, do I baptize an infant or do I baptize a believer? The question is, did Jesus Christ really exist and did he walk on this earth and should I care? That's not a nuanced question. 
Denomination answers questions that people today are not asking, and the name of the church is fundamentally for those people. That's what I think. Secondly, moreover, increasingly, the secular world has decided what our denominational identifiers mean. So regardless of what you and I think of as being Baptist, of which I'm proud of, I am theologically entrenched in my Baptistic theology, as are the deacons, as are the church council. There's no vein of agenda trying to push anything along. That is not the question. The question is, the people who are, might come have already decided what the word means. And it doesn't matter if they're wrong. I cannot throw a temper tantrum about them having the wrong notion of who we are. It's not their responsibility to be right. They're fallen. It is our job, if necessary, to coax in the perishing. I'm saying this. If I said this to you 52 weeks a year, you could throw a spear at me. Say, you're just, you're just dulling the sharpness of everything. If I say this to you, rarely, it's in measure with Scripture. Do I endeavor to become all things to all people so that I may win some? Does Paul not say that? To the Jews, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became under the law. To those, the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. I endeavor to become all things to all people so that I might raise some. That's the principle that's at work. Is whether or not they're going to, look, whether or not they're going to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, I still want them to come in these doors and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because either it might be the message of their salvation or they might heap upon themselves greater responsibility to their own damnation. Either way, there's greater clarity at least they'll know better what they don't believe. Plus, how many times in your life did someone plant a seed that you did not respond to? But then you did. Years later. Can we not be seed planters? I'm just saying increasingly, our culture has filled denominational words like Baptist with meaning that we have no control over. Our own denomination did a study. They did a big research study. In fact, we don't even have to call ourselves a Southern Baptist Church. They said, we'll give you a second name. You can be a Great Commission Baptist Church because they realized that Southern Baptist, that label is like the scourge to people. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what they said. And they said it down south. In fact, their study said, this is what we learned, and it's even worse up north. What they found, by the way, is not that people hate Baptists. What they found is, is people don't get denomination. They are negatively predisposed towards denomination. That's what they found. They found, you pick the denomination, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Mormon. They threw them all up there, Muslim. They found when someone was, one of their surveyors, or thousands of people they surveyed, was asked, hey, would you go to one of those churches? They went, mm, no, by significant margin. Significant margin, they were negatively inclined to that. There was one outlier, though. If they gave them a, would you go to a church that had, was like a community church or a non-denominational church, would you go? They went, yeah, I would go. That one was positively disposed to across their entire sample set and anything that had a denominational identifier. Why? Because it looks to them like we're arguing over nuances. The name of the church is fundamentally for them. It is no longer in a world where there's 99 sheep that don't need repentance and one that's lost it feels the other way around. 
So, what do I think? Would I pick a name change arbitrarily to do because I'm bored? No. Do we have standing for name change? We do. Because there are 70 people on the other side of, of our town who are meeting in which Hokesson Baptist Church is wholly insufficient to describe their reality. They are not Hokesson Baptist Church. Plus, we are one in very real ways. If you're a guest, you'll feel like, well, I don't feel like I'm one with Ho- Loma. Well, I get that. You don't feel like you're one with me. But there is a very real, from the top down, from the leadership down, especially the leadership, and as you go down, our oneness with that campus matters tremendously. And the name currently is insufficient to describe that. So, I would not, it would be my counsel not to include the word Baptist or any denominational identifier in the future name of the church because the name is for the outsider and because three of my four neighbors, six of my seven neighbors, probably nine of my ten neighbors do not call Jesus Lord. That's what I think. To the building. The future size of our facility. Now this is a big question. The other one's real and small. This is legitimate. I'm not saying the question of do we go here or do we go to independent school. I know many of you have heard that. It's not a rumor. Uh, There's no decision on it, but the questions come to our church of, hey, that does look like a viable option, and that's what tonight's about. We want to give you data so that you can depart from rumor. Okay? The real question, that question, I think, will answer itself in time. Okay? I think it's emotional, but it is, that is certainly a small question. That's arithmetic compared to this question. How big should the church be? That's a good question. It's a great question. It's a great wrong question. That's a great question. It's one I have asked since I came here. It's one I asked... When I wasn't here, this church used to be the gold standard for my wife and I when we were in the military. Well, this is not Hocus and Baptist Church. Yeah, it's got this, but it's not that. I mean, I was saying that when we were facing this way and there was a stage. And a hundred people on a good Sunday with popsicle stick fans. I mean, that was... we. That was my church. That was the church I came to. I, when I came to Hocus and Baptist, that was the church I had in my mind, was a small church. And I found that asking how big should a church be is a great wrong question. It's the kind of good question, great question in the sense of you will learn, if you seriously put that question before the Lord, you will learn the whole way to a dead end. It's the kinds of questions that educate and inform and mature and challenge and convict you the whole way until the Lord says, I'm not telling you how big a church is. I'm just going to tell you the three of your four neighbors don't know Jesus. And this is the season you're in. I'm saying that because I know, I don't know for a fact, but I know through supposition that the 12 or so families that planted this church in a home didn't have all of this in mind. And you have to imagine that they most certainly dealt with are we really as 12 families ready for a 505 schoolhouse, this monstrous building at 505 schoolhouse? I mean, that had to be in their psyche at 12 families. I mean, everyone's always small in comparison to what's bigger than them. 
And any time that happens, what we realize is, is there's things that matter to me now, will they be lost? And there's things that matter to me now, will they be lost? But the reality is, is if we do a line in the sand and said, this, thus far and no farther, this is the theological size of the church, God will grin, he will test, and dismantle that position. That's what will happen. That's what has happened. In 2009, when I became the head pastor of this church and I was preaching, it was going okay, I guess. Because some of you would come pat me on the back. You'd do the, the old man handshake. You'd grab me at the elbow. You'd shake me. <laughs> oh, we're going to build that building, you would say. That's what was said to me. We're going oh, to build that sanctuary. Okay, godly, loving, encouraging. I would go puke my guts out in the corner after it. I didn't want to build a building. I did not want to build a building. I did not want a bigger church. I didn't come to this church for a big church. I had no vision for size. Had you, had you asked two follow-up questions, you would have realized I was unqualified for the position to which you called me. I knew that, actually. I dealt with depression about it. I knew that if you, if you pulled the scab back, you would have the right to say, does he have the right to be here? Because he does not want a bigger church. And the Lord encountered me on that. He challenged me on that. He tested me on that, and he dismantled. He said to me, get out of the way of my growing church. Growth spread mature came out of that. I had an architectural theory. I had, no kidding, a theory that we will build a 250-person sanctuary with a balcony with the doors shut and a chain around. I did this, no kidding. We'll have a chain around the balcony doors, and when the 251st person shows up, we'll have a big ceremony, and we'll chop off the chain, and we'll open up the balcony, and that will trigger a church plant. As though a church plant is the way that you do growth relief. It's not. It's Great Commission work. Drastically different. We plant churches to grow God's kingdom, not to keep, preserve what we like. Okay, but that's where I was, is I'll plant a church to preserve what I like. And then we'll lock it back up again. And then we'll unchain it and we'll lock it back. That was my theory. I'm just saying, how big should a church be is not the right question. It's a great question. What should we do now? in our current setting with what's in front of us and the fact that three out of our four neighbors don't go to church. Here, you know, some would say, I mean, let's, why don't we plant a church? There's that opportunity. Why don't we plant a church? You have the right to say that to me, by the way, because I fought long and hard to get you to say that our primary method of growth would be through planting churches, Right? All along the way, by the way, many of you said, you're not saying we're not going to build, right? And I'd say, no, I didn't say that. You said, promise me. And I'd say, I promise you. Why? Because growing and spreading are not mutually exclusive or contradictory ideas. What are we going to do, plant in Hokesson? If there's demand for growth here, why would we plant here? That would be confusing. The way you plant where you are is you grow. It's planting in place. Some of you would say, well, there's, on any given Sunday, there's probably 40 people from Pennsylvania in our church. And some would say, well, why, why don't we just plant them away? It, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> or Newark, you pick it, right? Pick your poison. 
I'm all about planting, but here's the reality. I'm not the one who plants. So no matter how excited I am about planting, you're the ones who plant. Which means you have to have that spirit in you. Which means it's a work of the spirit and you have to get, I cannot sound the bugle with no one behind me. That is failure. And right now, I don't see, I don't see the spirit gnawing at the bit to put a church in Kennet or in Avondale or, or West Grove or any one of these places. I see the possible opportunity, but I don't see the fire of the spirit behind it. And why? Because it's not that season. On the whole, we grow spread and mature. But this is a season of growth. Planting churches, by the way, is hard. Ask, ask them how hard it is. It's hard for them and it's hard for us. You know, we took 40 people from the inside circle of our church and sent them out. By the way, numerically, they were replaced in two months. So it doesn't fix the growth problem. When God's people do the right thing, God gives them people. So it's not going to fix it. It's because we don't do it to fix it. We do it to expand God's kingdom. But we sent 40 people from the inside of the record out. And where, we, where did we gain them? On the outside of the record. So I'm sending out half our musicians, some of our best teachers and leaders and thinkers and most mature Christians, are the, the ones we know. We know like their whole play card. We've been trading their cards for years and years. We know exactly what they can do and what they can't do, right? There's such an elegance to all of that, to knowing a member. They leave and it's, hi, I'm John, how are you? Well, that's six months to a year before that develops into something real. And by the way, since we grew, we de facto grew in a quantum way then, and we had no mechanism to welcome 40 or 50 people like that into the church in a calm way that would methodically help them mature into knowing the, the whole fellowship. So it's hard here, and it's hard there. And if we plant for selfish reasons, God will test it and dismantle it. I do want to say one thing, and this is primarily for downtown, but I think it's true here. Some of us have such a humble and stewardly mindset about what we would build. You're like, I don't want to need to build because the way you're thinking, and this is good, this is a virtue, okay? The virtue is you're thinking, I don't need something nice, right? I'm fine in this old schoolness. That's a virtue. What I need to tell you is, is we're not talking about building for you. We're talking about building for your three of your four neighbors. That's what we're talking about. Right now at the 10.30 hour, I cannot add a single more adult Sunday school class. How can I tell you? I really think you should mature by learning to study the word, but we can't offer another Sunday school class because every single room in this building that is habitable has a classroom right now to include my office and Pastor Terry's office. Now, how can we say we're committed to maturing the growing body of Christ if we can't mature the growing body of Christ? And if you would say, well, we just don't need to do Sunday school, I would say, <laughs> I won't say it, but you know. I'm saying three of our four neighbors don't know Jesus. At least three of our four neighbors don't know Jesus. I'm not saying that every one of them will know Jesus. I'm saying there should be a parking spot for some of them and a space in the nursery for some of them. And I would love romantically to be back at one service. I think there's great gain for the fellowship there that helps us mature and hold cohesively as one body. It's gotten so complex. 
I lament. It was the right thing to do, but I lament the fact that I never, ever see the hallway on Sunday. I don't even know. I know theoretically what the parking lot looks like. I've never seen it, at least in the past five years. There's things we could do to help our neighbors come. All right, lastly, what should our hearts be during this time? Because I know, I know I've said it tough, and some of you love the church, and you feel differently. So how should our spirits be? I'm going to read to you Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Just listen how the Lord comments on our spirit. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Our ideas, your ideas, my ideas, our ideas of growth are not really as important as our spirit amidst our corporate decision of growth. What I'm saying is, is how you think the church should look, how I think the church should look, how they think the church should look, how we think the church should look, that's important. God, God does all the time, he does straight lines with crooked sticks. So we don't need to be the smartest people on that. We don't even need to be right. God's looking at us to see how are they doing this together. Yeah, that's the test of maturity. How are we doing this together? Which means, which means, by the way, God has given you uh, an opinions and preferences that are not unimportant. I am not, I am not at all saying in my heart or through my mouth that your opinions of what the church should look like are unimportant. I'm simply saying they are not all important. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you were given to the church. The church was not given to you. You are a gift to the church to be used by the church for the glory of God. This is not a service that's being provided for you to fill your cup up. God has called you to be part of his body. When, since when was the last time that some part of your body left you because it didn't like what you did? God calls his body of believers to be in healthy tension as it tries to do his will. The body is all the time in healthy tension. The way one, when my arm does this, one muscle is pulling against the tension of ligaments, against my bone, against my joint. Everything is stressed. A healthy church body is living in tension. And it's such a sign of unhealthiness when the people of Christ, instead of living in that diversity and in that tension, when they try to ghetto in some homogeneous fellowship. It is sad when small church people go to small churches and big church people go to big churches and social gospel people go to social gospel churches and only the Bible churches go to only the Bible churches and, and this person goes to this church and you know this church with strong ministry, ministry it's got to have this. 
You know what ends up happening is we end up having a whole basket load of weak small churches that refuse to grow. And then we have a whole basket load of weak large churches that refuse to mature. And we have social gospel churches that refuse to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have churches that know the gospel of Jesus Christ frontwards and backwards and who choose not to love people. That's what happens when we, because we don't like the tension, say the church is for me and I'll go find one like it. I'm saying this to you not because I'm worried that people are going to leave. I'm saying this to you to say that your, the fact that you may be at variance with some of the things I'm saying does not in any way, and should not in any way incline you to think that maybe you're not supposed to be here. I would say if you're sitting there going, the church is going to grow potentially beyond what I think is, is manageable because I really think these things are important, don't you think you should be here? Why would, your, why would you take your temperament and giftedness and abandon us in our growth? Every one of our giftedness is God wastes nothing, which means if you're here and you call this your church, God has a purpose for you. To reject that, to reject that notion is, is sad and is going to walk you down a, a very difficult life without purpose. We make these decisions in tension. That's because they're real decisions. The real decisions your family have made are the ones that matured your family, are they not? Your family's not maturing on the daily decision to eat dinner. That's easy. Do I leave this job? Do I take this job? Do we have another child? Do we adopt? Do we stop having children? Do we live near our parents? Those are the ones that God grows you in. These are the questions that God grows this family in. And we do them together because this is the right season. This is the season of growth for our church. Amen.